Well, good morning. We are back in the remarkable power of Jesus. So open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And today we're going to talk about the remarkable power of teammate. You know, if anybody was ever tempted to do a one-man show, or in Jesus' case, a one-God show, it would have been Jesus. He could have done it all. He could do it all. He was omnipotent. But yet Jesus himself chose 12 men that he would pour his life into for three and a half years. And today we're going to talk about how he built that team and some of the aspects of that team. Uh, I, I know probably you can think about being on different teams you've been on through the years. I remember the first team I was ever on was like Little League Baseball. I grew up in a little town in South Alabama, and uh, we only had enough guys to have two Little League teams, and this is in South Alabama, and so they were the Rebels and the Yankees, and you can imagine everybody wanted to be on the Rebels. But my dad was the coach of the Rebels, and they had a rule that you couldn't play on the team that your dad coached. So my first team, I was the Florala Yankees. Now, that sounded kind of strange because when I grew up, the word Yankee was usually preceded by some kind of adjective that I can't mention right here today. But I, I remember how proud I was to put on my first Little League uniform. I don't think I was very good because they put me in right field. And I've learned since that's kind of where you put sometimes the worst player. I wasn't very good at catching or throwing or hitting the ball, but I tell you what, I was great at chatter. Do they still do chatter at t-ball and ball games today? Hey, batter, 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 hey, swing. So I was really good at that. So I've been on many, many teams since then, but that was the first team and I got excited about it. Now here we are, we're only in the third chapter of Mark, but we already read in the last passage that the Herodians and the Pharisees had already decided they had to put Jesus to death. Now, this is early on in his ministry. So for the rest of his ministry, he's going to be uh, having a conflict with the Jewish religious leaders. And he, he builds a team to help him. So let's read about him choosing his team, Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. You're welcome to stand with me if you're willing and able as we read Mark 3, 13 through 19. Jesus went up to the mountain, up the mountain, and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, who he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach, to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the 12 to Simon. He gave the name Peter, which means Rocky, and to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John. He gave the name Boanerges, which is sons of thunder. Andrew... Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, which was like a terrorist, insurrectionist, and Judas Iscariot, and then Mark adds this little uh, edit, who also betrayed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us the importance of, of you building a team around you. Because we know even today in your church and in your kingdom, teams are so vitally important. So, Father, I pray that today everyone listening to my voice will be committed to some team here in our church. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Be seated. Now, there is a difference between disciples and apostles. 
A disciple is anyone who's a follower. And we know that Jesus had many disciples. In fact, we're told in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus sent out 72 disciples. But these 12 special men, he called them apostles with a capital A. Now, the word apostle, apostelline, means to send out. So we're all apostles in that Jesus has sent us out into the world. But there were these 12 capital A apostles who, who became famous, I guess, and are still famous. Uh, in fact, when you go over to the uh, 21st chapter of Revelation, we're seeing Revelation on Wednesday nights right in here at 6 o'clock. It says that the new Jerusalem is a city that comes down from heaven, and it has 12 foundations. And it says the names of the 12 apostles are written on the 12 foundations. Now, I, you know a little bit about what happened to the, to the apostles. Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, committed suicide. He went out and hung himself. But the disciples felt such a pressure to get that number back to 12, because you remember in Jewish gematria, the study of numbers, 12 meant administrative perfection. So in Acts chapter 1, they cast lots, and this guy by the name of Matthias is elected to be the 12th apostle. But you never, ever again hear of Matthias in the New Testament. I suspect that maybe the, the apostles were a little quick to do that, and Maybe God has had his own choice because later the apostle Paul claimed that he was an apostle. So here's what I want you to do, okay? When we die and go to heaven, after we spend a couple of million years, you know, seeing Jesus and seeing our loved ones, it's just going to go like that. Hey, you meet me over at the New Jerusalem, okay? And let's look at those names on the 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem. And let's see if we see the name Matthias or the name, Jesus, uh, or the name Paul. And we're not going to take any bets because there's no gambling in heaven, but we'll just see who's there, okay? So 12 apostles. Now, you know, teamwork is so very important in the Bible. In fact, Andrew Carnegie, who was a great industrialist, said this, teamwork is the ability to work together toward a common vision. It is the fuel that allows common people to obtain uncommon results. Now, even nature itself understands the importance of teamwork. Have you ever seen a formation of geese flying in that V? There's a reason for that. It's because the vortex created by the flapping wings of the geese produced more lift for the, ge for the goose behind him. And so by flying in this formation, they can cover 76 percent farther territory because they fly in this formation so even even nature understands the power of teamwork so today I want to talk to you about Jesus choosing his 12 and tell you what a disciple is and then we're going to talk about how Jesus is still calling people to be on his team so first of all Jesus chose 12 men to be on his team now the Bible says he prayed about this this is just not some random choice Luke tells us that Jesus prayed all night long before he chose his 12 disciples. Now, you know, he, was, he was not, you might say, astute in the way he chose them. You would have expected Jesus, who was a rabbi, to choose maybe the greatest minds, the most learned rabbis of Israel at the time, because there were plenty of them, people that knew the Old Testament, but instead... He chose a bunch of, I can say this, he chose a bunch of hillbillies. 
Because Galilee, where he chose his disciples from, that was the rural part of Israel. They were the hillbillies. In fact, in the book of Acts, it said of these disciples, it says they were ignorant and unlearned men. So these weren't the brightest bulb, you know, in the lights. They weren't the sharpest knife in the drawer. But yet Jesus doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. And then uh, I, I, read, I came across a sort of a humorous letter that uh, the Jordan Management Consulting Company sent to Jesus about his choice of the 12 disciples. I got a little chuckle out of it. Of course, it's just spoof. It said, from the Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem to Jesus of Nazareth, May 6, 30 A.D., Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you are considering for managers of your organization. After a battery of tests and interviews, it is the opinion of our experts that most of your nominees are lacking in education and aptitude for the enterprise you are undertaking. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, put personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that could undermine morale. We must tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. Both James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus have radical leanings and registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. Simon the Zealot has carried out subversive acts against the Romans. One of your candidates, however, shows great potential. He has a keen business mind and has contact in high places. He is highly motivated and ambitious. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your leader and your right-hand man. We wish you success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Yeah, if you'd been kind of evaluating them from a business standpoint or even from a financial standpoint, you wouldn't have picked any of those. Now, people have asked me through the years, Pastor, why did Jesus choose Judas knowing he was going to betray him? And I've got an answer for you. So if you want to write it down, this may be the only time you hear this, but why did he choose Judas? Here's the answer. I don't know. <laughs> Seriously. You can speculate all you want to, but we don't know. Uh, I suppose when you get to heaven, you can ask Jesus, but you won't really need to do that because the Bible says when we see him, we shall be like him and we will know even as we're known. You'll just know, but there was a reason, but I can't answer it. You know why? Because God says my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. So I don't know, but... Jesus chose him, and he was part of the group. Now, with that little bit of introduction, let me give you three characteristics, three marks of a disciple. Number one, a dis disciple spend time with Jesus. That's the main thing disciples do. He chose these 12 men, it says in the text, to be with him, just to hang out with him. You know, if you were one of the 12 apostles, it wasn't constant teaching. It wasn't, okay, take out your, you know, papyri pads and start writing down. No, it's just hanging out with him, spending time with him, talking and listening and, and, and conversing back and forth. And so that's our job. As, as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, we were created to spend time with Jesus, to spend time with our creator. And of course, we call that a quiet time. 
I think the one thing that'll build you strong spiritually is for you to take time out every single day to get alone with the Lord, open the Word of God, pray and talk to the Lord, just you and the Lord, okay? And I've been doing this for many, many years. And so I open my Bible and I, I read it and I say, Lord, speak to my heart. And, and, and then I'll pray. I keep a prayer journal of things that I pray for every day and, and even write down the answer to prayer. But the key to me through the years has been this. I, I spend at least as much time listening to God that, than I do talking to God. You know, a lot of times when people pray, it's like, okay, I've got this grocery list, God. I want you to do this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Okay, and see you later, Lord. No, if you will learn the wonderful blessing of spiritual conversation with God, pray for a while, then stop and listen, then read the word and pray for a while, stop and listen. It's to spend time alone with the Lord. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible happened in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus was having lunch at the home of Mary and Martha, who were sisters. And uh, the Bible says that Martha was in the kitchen. You know, she's fixing lunch. But Mary had chosen to just sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him talk about what he'd been doing, where he'd gone and all that. And Martha's not happy about this. She wants Mary helping her in the kitchen. I don't know if this has happened, but this is kind of what I imagine. You know, Jesus had his back to the kitchen there, and here's Mary. And I can just imagine Martha kind of walking to the kitchen door saying, like, get in here and help me, would you? I'm doing all the work. And she's just sitting there smiling, you know, listening to Jesus. Well, we know that because finally Martha just steams out there, and you can just see her, you know, with her, Jesus, would you tell Mary to come in here and help me with lunch. And I want you to see exactly what Jesus said. It's in Luke 10, 41. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset with many things. By the way, does that describe your life these days? Worried and upset with many things. And Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary. So what is that one thing that is necessary? The one thing that is most necessary is for you to know the Lord, to spend time with the Lord. That doesn't mean you stay there all the time. I mean, I, I think the way my wife says this story end, ends in her mind is that Martha sits down there with Jesus for a few minutes and then both Mary and Martha get up and cook dinner and serve it to Jesus. That's how she likes to see this story ending. But Jesus is saying the one thing that's more important than fixing food for me is letting me feed you with the word of God. So that's what a disciple does. Number two, disciples share the good news. They share the good news. In other words, he sent them out to preach the good news. Now, that's our job, all of us, not just those of us that have been to seminary and stand up here on Sundays and preach. It's every disciple's job to share the good news. Now, the problem is that a lot of times people say, well, you know, I don't think I have to just really talk about the Lord. Uh, I'm just going to live the Christian life, and I'm just going to be a good example of what a Christian is. The only thing wrong with that is you're using the wrong bait. You're using your life. And may, people will see you living that way, and they say, well, what a nice person they are, and that you get all the credit. But if somewhere in the process of living the Christian life, you put in your faith story, your testimony. People know you live that way because of Jesus. 
And so make sure whatever you do and you share the good news that you somehow give the glory and credit to Jesus Christ. You know, you, you can preach the gospel in just like one sentence. You know, I, I was a rotten sinner bound for hell when Jesus came and forgave my sins and now he has saved me and I have an eternal home in heaven. That's one sentence. If you can just kind of work on getting the gospel in one sentence, it will work and you can share that with people. Here's the third thing disciples do. Disciples speak with the authority of Jesus because the Bible says he gave them to have authority to drive out demons. Now, demons are real, and I'm waiting till Mark 5 where this guy is, is possessed with a legion of demons and Jesus deals with him. I'm waiting till that time to really dig into what demons are and what they do and how we have power over them. But mainly, I want you to think about the word authority. Jesus gave the disciples authority. What does that mean? Well, let me illustrate that. Let's imagine here's a highway. We call it I-20, I guess. And speeding down this highway at 70 miles an hour is a 40-ton semi-18-wheeler, okay? And they're about a mile ahead. There's a man. And this man doesn't nearly have the mass nor the velocity of that semi. He's maybe, you know, six feet tall, 180 pounds. And he steps to the edge of the highway and holds his hand up. Now, in, in a, just a pure collision between that truck and that man, who's going to win? Oh, that truck's going to leave a greasy smear. But in this case, this man standing there holding up his hand, this truck starts downshifting, slamming on brakes, and he stops and he pulls over. Because you see, there's something I didn't tell you about this man. He had on the uniform of a Texas DPS. Beside him was his DPS automobile. He was saying, stop in the name of the law. And because that guy knew what was good for him, he was going to stop because that man was not using his own personal authority. He was using the authority of the state of Texas. I want you to apply that to our spiritual truth. The devil is strong. Demons are strong. We can't fight them on our own. But in the name of Jesus, when we say in the name of Jesus, Satan be gone, in the name of Jesus, demons be gone, they will stop, they will turn, and they will flee. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, there's a difference between authority and power. You've got to understand this. We have the authority to do that, but we also need the dunamis, the power to do that. And I heard a, a funny story about that one time. There was a government man who went out to some farmer's pasture and said, I work for the Department of the Interior. I need to take some soil samples in your pasture out here. And the farmer said, uh, you can't go out in that pasture. And the guy pulled out his papers and said, here, signed by the Secretary of Interior. I can go anywhere I need to to get these soil samples, and I'm not going to bother anything, so I need to go out in your pasture. The farmer said, you can't go out in that pasture. Government man said, well, I'll just show you. So he climbed over the fence. He walked about 100 yards out into the pasture, set up his equipment, started digging soil samples. All of a sudden, he felt the ground kind of rumbling a little bit. He looked up, and here comes this huge bull running at him with his head down so the guy just forgot his equipment he's running to the fence as fast as he can where the farmer was just standing there and the guy government guy was saying help me help me and the farmer said show him your papers <laughs> so he had the authority 
but he didn't have the power. But with Jesus, we have both the authority and the power. And you know, when the disciples went out and they, they were casting out demons in the name of Jesus, they were like, wow, this is amazing. In fact, it says in Luke 10, 20, they came back so excited about it. They said, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. That's no big deal, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, folks, if you want to get happy about something today, if you want to rejoice about something today, don't rejoice necessarily because you have authority over the de demons. Rejoice because your name, my name, has been written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven, and it can never be erased, okay? So that's who disciples are and what we do. Now, let's change directions here. Number two, Jesus is still calling people to be on his team. Today, 2022, he's still calling people to join his team. I'm reminded of that famous World War II poster where Uncle Sam is pointing and says, Uncle Sam wants you. I'm here to tell you today, Jesus Christ the Lord wants you. He wants you to follow him. Are you a follower of Jesus? You know, it's kind of sad that in this age of social media, that whole term follower has been misunderstood. I mean, for a while, I, I was on Twitter. I, I didn't do many tweets, but I had maybe two or 300 people following me. And I'm, I have an Instagram account. I have, I think, 500 people follow me. I don't post too much or anything like that. But today, we have people who are followers. And I follow some people that I'm interested in in the sports world and the Christian world. Uh, you, you may be interesting to know that when it comes to followers, uh, you know who the, has more Twitter followers in the United States than anybody else? Barack Obama has 131 million followers on Twitter. Number two is the Beeb, Justin Bieber, 113 million. But when it comes to Instagram, wow, Cristiano Ronaldo, the Portuguese soccer player, he has 483 million followers. And every one of the Kardashians have over 100 million followers on Instagram. So see, folks, when we're talking about following, this whole idea of following on social media is nothing like that. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to take up your cross, deny yourself daily, and follow me. So there are four of God's teams that I want to challenge every one of you to listen to me online or in person. Four of God's teams I want to challenge you to join, okay? Number one, join a local church team. Now, most of you here probably already are a member of Marbury Baptist Church. I see there are two expressions of the word church, ecclesia, which means called out one. There's the church of all believers around the world. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church, the church, yeah, the whole body of Christ. But the term ecclesia is used 113 times in the New Testament, and 90% of the time it has to do with a local church. And so everybody ought to be a part of a local church. Now, I know we have a lot of people. We did in Tyler. There's probably some here in, in Longview. You are not a member of Moberly Baptist Church. You, you attend, you participate, you may be watching on live stream, but you've never become a member of this church. And I want to encourage you to take the step, not to just come and be blessed, but to come and join this church and be a blessing. Uh, you know, there's a difference between just attending church and being a part of a church. It's the difference between a spectator and a participant. 
Bud Wilkinson was the longtime football coach at University of Oklahoma, and he said this. He said, football is when there are 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest in front of 40,000. That's how long it was ago it was. 40,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. So it's time to get out of the grandstands and onto the field and get involved. And, and, and the local churches, it's, it's the basis of everything God is doing in this world, the local church. There are plenty of parachurch organizations, plenty of ministries. But folks, the local church is where God is really moving. I know a few years ago when I was in Alabama, I visited a couple, sharp young couple, loved the Lord. Uh, you could tell the way they talk, they love the Lord. And I said, well, what, what church are you all a member of? And he said, well, we, we don't really belong to any local church. He said, we just belong to, and this is what he did, the church, you know, the body of Christ. So, and they were really nice. And uh, I said, well, we'd love to have you come be a part of our local church. Well, we're doing okay. We'll come some, but we just think it's more important to be a part of the church. So, so I was leaving that night from their house, and I looked up on the mantle and he had all these softball trophies and so I said hey you, you play softball yeah I, I love playing softball I said hey you know I play softball too I love softball he said well what teams do you play for I said I don't play for any team I just play on the team <laughs> I just take the ball out, out back and toss it up and every now and then I'll hit it you know I'm just I'm, I'm just on the, the team he, he said you got me Within that month, that couple had become bona fide serving members of our local church. There's nothing on the planet that's like the local church. Folks, to join Moberly Baptist Church, you just have to attend one membership session. Uh, the next one is on May 15th right here in the choir room. You can talk to Paul Coleman about it at Guest Central. And thank the Lord, over the last 18 months, we've had over 200 new members join uh, Marbley Baptist Church. So if you're someone who's still watching in your pajamas, it's time to come back, get involved in a local church. That's the first team. Two, fellowship with a small group team. We call those connect groups here. You know, if some of you only come to worship, but you don't get involved in a small group, you're missing out on the greatest experience God has for you at Marbley. Because yeah, you can come to worship and sit and be blessed by the music and be fed by the message but what you don't experience is koinonia, fellowship. You, you really don't get to know people, and you don't know their names. You don't know their needs. It's almost like, remember when you used to could fly before COVID and all that, and you were on an airline flight? I mean, everybody on that plane, they were in proximity, and they were participating in the same things, buckling your seat belts, returning your tray tables to the full upright position, but there was absolutely no community there. You were close to them but no community. And that's kind of what worship is sometimes. You're all in proximity. You're doing the same thing. Stand up, sit down, pick up your hands, raise your hands, sing. But it's not till you get in a connect group till you experience true Christian fellowship and friendship. Now, when I was a pastor at Green Acres, we always had about 1,000 people who attended worship that weren't part of a connect group. And I was always, 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 always trying to move those people into a connect group. And when some of them did, they came to me, Pastor, oh, thank you, thank you for telling me to get in a connect group because that's made all the difference in the world. So, by the way, the numbers are pretty clear. There's about 750 people who attend the three worship services here who aren't in a connect group. 
the best thing you can do for your spiritual life is to go out there to Guest Central at the end of this service today and say, where can I find a connect group that I can plug into? We have 44 groups for adults 18 years and older. Number three, serve on a ministry team. Serve on a ministry team. You see, uh, we had a motto of the, at the church I serve that every member is a minister. And you see, God puts you in a body, B-O-D-Y. The, the church is compared to a human body. Paul does this. And, you know, you may be a, a forefinger. You may be a thumb. You may be a knee. But if you're in this body, that means God has a function for you. And if you're not serving in some ministry, it's like that thumb is paralyzed because that's you and you're not doing anything. So there's so many ministries you can plug into here at the church. And, you know, maybe you know of a ministry that needs to be done that's not being done. You know, some of the greatest ministries that we ever started at Green Acres was when somebody came to me and said, Pastor, you know, we really need to start a ministry like an adoption ministry. I can remember when a guy came to tell me that 10 years ago, I said, you are exactly right. You're in charge of it. And I'm your, I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader and promoter. And that was the beginning of hope for 100, which in one year we made a difference in the lives of a hundred children through foster care or adoption. A lady came to me and said, you know what, pastor, a lot of people in our church have gone through the heartache of an abortion when they were younger. And it affects not only the woman, but the man also. So we need to start a ministry for that. So I said, yeah, let's do that. You're in charge of it. I'm your cheerleader. I'm your biggest supporter. And that's where C-A-R-E was born. Christ uh, Christian Abortion Recovery East Texas. And it's a huge ministry right now. So... That's how most ministries get started. You say there's a need and I need to get a team together and perform this because teamwork really, really works. Last, last team, circle up with a prayer team. Circle up with a prayer team. Everybody needs to be praying individually. You need to pray in your family and you need a, some kind of prayer team. If you don't have a prayer team, start a prayer team. For years, I've been praying for spiritual awakening. I hope you have too. I will really believe spiritual awakening is going to come. How will we know when it comes? Will there be more people in church? Will there be more baptisms? Those will probably be byproducts of that. But the one thing that we'll know that spiritual awakening is happening is when groups are praying. Many, many groups, thousands of people are meeting to pray on a regular basis because every spiritual awakening in history came out of a movement of prayer. So, folks, we are a team, and, and God has put you here to be a part of this team. And what is, what is the purpose of our team? I'm going to put this on the screen. I want us to all read it together, our purpose statement. Ready? People leading Jesus. People leading people into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I blew it, so let's do it again. People leading people into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. There is something amazing that happens when a team gets together. Have you ever seen those huge Belgian draft horses? One horse can pull 8,000 pounds. That's amazing. But you know what? When you put two of them together, you think, well, two of them could pull 16,000 pounds, but that's not true. You put two of them together and they pull 24,000 pounds. That is the remarkable power.
power of teammate, teamwork, teams working together. God is our captain, and we're all part of his team. Let's pray together. If you're not part of God's team yet, you're not part of God's family, I'd love to lead you in a simple prayer by which you can place your faith in Jesus. Just repeat this prayer after me quietly, but sincerely. Dear God, I admit I'm a sinner. I'll never be good enough to earn heaven. Right now, I turn from my sins and I place my faith in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross to forgive my sins. I want you to come into my life and take control. I will live for you forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.